Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Herpetological Hour here on Dakota Network. If you would like to speak to the guest or ask a question or just plain share a great story you have, please feel free to call us at 1-718-766-4119. Thank you and enjoy the show. Thank you for tuning in to the uh, thank you for tuning in everybody. Uh today I got uh, Scott McFarlane on a, on the uh on the show. He's gonna talk a little bit about his reptiles that he's got. He breeds uh as almost everybody knows, Florida king snakes and uh he also breeds uh, some ball pythons. So uh without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Scott. Scott, how are you today? Good, how are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good, I'm doing pretty good. So, uh, anything new going on at your facility down there? I got a lot of breeding going on. Been a heavy couple of weeks. I've had twenty lockups in the past month, and uh, actually starting to have eggs come. So it's fixing to start getting really busy around here. Yeah, that's what I enjoy about it is the when the eggs come, and then all then the next big thing is when they all start pipping start to pip it, it gets very interesting around that time of year yeah there's always <clears> steps of excitement it's fun when they breed and it's fun when they're laying eggs and trying to catch all the timing so you get to see everything going on it's it's an exciting pro- project to do uh and you also breed ball pythons too is that correct yeah i have ball pythons too anything interesting going on with those or because I, I don't um, see ball pythons so i don't know well, the ball python projects, me and my mother and my daughter, and it's mainly my mother that enjoys them, and she studies up on all the genetics of them, which are pretty crazy with codoms and the recessives and genes that make supers, and it's kind of a little confusing to me because it's easy for me just to understand the recessive genetics, but there's so much going on with ball pythons, probably more than corn snakes ever was. But it's a fun project. It's a family thing that, you know, I do with my mom, and we're part of it together. And she's into uh, stuff that's really rare or not so common, like she likes the highway stuff, and she's trying to do, like, panda pods and anything with pods she's doing. She's got some bananas and She's mixing up all kind of stuff that has really passed me with what I'm doing with the king snakes. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have a problem with the cycling with those? Considering do you keep them with in the same room as your uh, king snakes or anything? No, do you have actually, any problem with the the snakes are out in a deep, but king snakes are out in a detached building, and the ball pythons actually get to live in a house, so they got their own bedroom and. Uh, they're similar, similarly climate controlled, and uh, she, she just pays attention to how they cycle. And when she could see that they're ovulating, that's when we put them together. And the ball pythons breed like year round versus how I breed my Florida kings. I just let nature take its course, so I breed them 
during the springtime when they're naturally breeding. So it's easy for me. And with the ball pythons, you kind of got to pay attention to them a little bit and catch them when they're ovulating, unless you have a sonogram, which I don't. It's easier to tell when there's follicles then. Yeah. Now, now where you live at, there, it it's easier to do the uh, Florida king snakes. But uh, do you have to do any real cycling with them to get them to breed at all, or do you just like open windows and let the temperature change on its own and stuff like that? Yeah, I let the outside natural ambient temperatures kind of run it. Like when it's hot during the summer, I run a big air conditioner and I keep it between. 80 and 84 degrees, depending on how hot a day it is. Sometimes it's out of hand for me with the air conditioner trying to keep up when it's super hot outside. But uh, when it's cold out, I'll run the heater so it doesn't get in the 40s or anything. But I'll let it get down in the 50s and 60s, and that's usually only for the timeline of when it's cold out. Sometimes it's cold for weeks, and sometimes you get a couple days of cold, and then it's warm again and a couple days of cold. But I let them cycle through it just as if they were in the wild, and I haven't had any issues with snakes not wanting to breed. seems like once one or two of them start ovulating, it seems like everybody else can smell it, and I don't know if it triggers them, but they all seem to cycle at the same time. Maybe it's like a couple women that live in the same house, and they all cycle at the same time. Maybe it's something like that. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you if uh, if you if you thought that uh, like getting a couple of them to breed triggers the rest because I know they release uh, pheromones and stuff like that. I'm sure that that uh, this is my opinion. I'm not sure if what you think, but but I think that it triggers a bunch of them to just go right down the line and start breeding. Do you, do you think that I really happens too? Yeah, because I mean, it, with so many snakes in one room, you can almost smell the pheromones when the males are breeding the females you can smell the musky smell from them and the males all start going bananas as soon as i get one or two females to ovulate all the males start running wild like they're starving animals they go crazy in the cages probably for two months have you ever had a problem with uh, i've seen some breeders i've never had this problem but have you ever had a problem with uh, one trying to eat the other one? Because I know some, I've seen pictures of it, but I've never had the problem. I've never come across it. I do have one pair that they're a little on the young side. They're only about 30 inches. And I introduced them this year for the first time, really just as an introduction, just to see how they react to each other and let them get used to each other a little bit. And in three seconds, the female wrapped up the male. So then it was like trying to untangle a knotted up extension cord. <laughs> so, but that's the only time that I've ever had an issue. I'm really comfortable with leaving my snakes together. I, I feed them up real well, and then I put them together, and I leave them together three, four days. Some of them stay together for two, three months at a time. I only separate them during the summer. When I'm feeding so often, it's easier to not have to separate them all the time because I do separate them when I feed them. I don't feed them together. But sometimes they grab the same mouse, and I just, to prevent any incident, I don't feed them together. Some people are comfortable with it, but I feel if you don't pay attention to them, you can have an issue. But I've only yeah. had one issue breeding them where they, the female wrapped the male and really didn't fight me too hard to separate them. And 
they haven't been back together yet because they're I think they're a little young and she's got a real aggressive food drive so she'll eat anything including a finger if it goes in her cage yeah some have a real strong feeding response yeah um, they're Florida Kings most of them do yeah <laughs> uh do you have a um do you do you, do you where do you think uh the morphs and stuff are going to be going with the Florida Kings. Do you think they're going to keep coming up with new ones or do you think there's like a limit? Like the corn snakes are just way out there and same like the ball pythons. I mean, with ball pythons, they say there's like a thousand morphs or something and there's like 2000 more to go or something just with what they have. So do you feel that the Florida King snake is going to catch up to that? Cause out of all the King snakes, I would say that they got uh, one of the largest variety of color or paint jobs to go um, with them. Yeah, I don't know. Um, with the way some of these guys work with them and with line breeding, there's no way to tell of what can pop out, what the future can hold. I mean, there's definitely a possibility for new things to pop out. But, uh, I mean, I think I'm happy with what there is. So if nothing ever does, I'm satisfied with what there is because combinations are so versatile now i guess with the the patternings that are coming and stuff and yeah there's going to be a lot of new things coming out i'm sure there is yeah um like like i ordered from you during the summer here and i was just amazed at i mean not during the summer but a few months back i was just amazed at the the quality of your animals out of all the stuff i've learned over the years you, you, it's like you've taken the extra step to make sure that these animals are healthy, uh, they're clean looking, they're they're just. It's just I was just amazed, just amazed. Yeah, well, I'm not trying to mass produce them, and I try to, I put in that extra effort, and I think it shows in them where, I put that little bit of pride in there, and sometimes it only takes a little bit more effort just to make the difference, and. You know, I guess with somebody being a big breeder, it would be easy to skip some small things that I think little things make the difference. So I always try to put in a little extra and make sure I take care of everything that's going on, make sure there's always fresh water, make sure I feed on a regular schedule. Some of them get fed more often than others because some snakes, they soak the mice up faster. They digest them and they're through it. They have a higher metabolism, so they're like a snake that moves around a cage all the time is going to burn up more energy than something that just lays in the corner. So some require more feed and I just try to be attentive to even small things like that and give those snakes the extra feed that they would require. So they don't end up getting skinnier to the small things, make sure everything's clean. Yeah. That, and that's what makes a good breeder. Someone who pays the, pays that, little bit of an extra attention to uh the detail yeah i would consider myself i would consider myself like an extreme hobbyist more so than like a breeder i do it because i really enjoy it my kids love it and the fascination of being able to make these morphs and mix them and then raise the heads and then have stuff pop out on heads that i've put together is just the reward is incredible so uh in your in your King Snake collection there, do you mind me asking how many you have in your collection? I have hundred and thirty one Florida King Snakes at the present. 
<laughs> so not a huge collection. collection, but yeah, I have a pretty good size collection. It's a little bit beyond just a hobby at this point, but I don't think I've data switch. Happy not to even go there because I'm pretty much overwhelmed with the amount of time it takes me to take care of everything the way I want to take care of it. So I'm not looking to get much bigger than I really am. Yeah, I'm sure there are people listening that are like 130 snakes. You know, and they, they think that's a lot. And some of these big breeders have thousands, some of the bigger breeders. Yeah, and well, to I, do it I, by I, myself is different too. Yeah, and I think that's where you're buying from a smaller breeder who think, takes it as a hobby and as a pastime, like it seems like you do. It uh, You get better quality stuff too because – like you said, you take the extra moment to notice which ones need more food and things like that. <clears throat> yeah, I pay attention to each individual snake instead of having a $10-an-hour guy that cleans cages for me and doesn't notice things or he's just rushing through it just to get his cages cleaned or anything. I go through and I look at every single snake when I feed. And when I feed, I usually I call it my poop collection time too, so... <laughs> I clean as I feed. Every time I open a tub, I try to make it as productive as possible. I inspect the tub, make sure the water's clean, make sure they didn't go to the bathroom in the bowl or whatnot, which are, to me, really simple husbandry things that any snake keeper should do. Just be attentive to your animals. That's what I do, and I don't. that's why I don't want to really become that 500 or 1,000 snake breeder because I think then you lose it, – then it's not a hobby. Then it becomes your job and you lose heart for it, I think, where I still yeah. enjoy my animals. So someone who, think, who is thinking about becoming a breeder, do you have any tips for them to make sure that they can produce this good quality uh, animal like you do? Probably the best tip I can give you is, one, be selective in what you're doing. Make sure it's something that you're going to enjoy. You know, don't breed with the thought that, people like this piece so i'm going to sell this type of snake breed what you like because if there's no enjoyment in it it's work and it's a lot of work to maintain these animals properly so if you don't love it don't think that you're going to just jump in and make a bunch of money doing it because it's not like that you have to love this hobby yes i have to agree with you there <clears throat> so where do you plan to take this hobby? Do you plan to get any bigger, or do you plan to just stay where you're at, or anything new on the horizon I'm probably going to be. I'm probably going to have more snakes than I have now because I'm making heads, and I'm keeping a lot of those heads, trying to produce different three and four gene snakes. So it requires me holding on to a reasonably large number of snakes. I'm going to try to stay less than three, four, five hundred snakes because the work is probably imaginable, unimaginable. And I want it to stay a pleasurable thing where I enjoy it because that's what I do. I enjoy it. I give my two days for the weekend and I spend a day and a half taking care of my animals. And then I have a half a day for the weekend to play. And every night when I get home from work, I spend a few hours with them and double check, clean and whatnot. So it requires a lot of time. So trying to just be a big mass producer not looking to go that way. Yeah. Uh, do you have any plans to do oh, getting a YouTube channel or anything like that? I have thought about it. I got a friend that is going to make me a web page. We've picked around a couple ideas, but uh, 
yeah, we're working on a few of those things. The YouTube channel, we're talking about like when I build a rack system or something like that, just putting up like tips and tricks, you know. So it's been talked about. We've kicked it around, and it's really a matter of finding the right person to film it and just make it so it's presented in a reasonably good manner instead of like when you go on YouTube and you see the 12-year-old kid explaining to you how to sex a snake. You know, I just wanted to look a little bit more professional and be educational to the point where it's a valuable piece. Yeah, I I, I understand because you go to YouTube and there's a lot of stuff on there, but it's some of it uh, is very unprofessionally done, and uh, better quality stuff seems to trigger more people to pay attention and things like that. Uh, how, how do your kids enjoy this hobby with you? Oh yeah, my daughters—they love every part of it, down to breeding the mice and taking care of all that. My daughter's actually caught snakes on her own out in the backyard, some red rats, and bred them, and she hatched those out. And now she's raising babies that she hatched out two years ago, and she's so looking forward to getting them to breed and having babies out of those too she's just started collecting hog noses so now we're going to have a few hog noses around the house which are actually kind of cool snakes i've never really paid too much attention to them because i've had the florida king bug but now that i've been opened up my eyes to the hog nose i think they're kind of neat or it's a fun it's a good pet snake yeah i i enjoy the, the hog nose myself um <clears throat> Now, getting into, like, the mice. You say you breed your own mice. Yeah. Uh, do, do, you, do you do that in a separate building than your snakes, or do you do it in the same facility? Or It's in the, in the same room. Okay. It's in the uh, same room, and the, you... the mice... Go ahead. What was that? No, go ahead. What we... I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I, when I breed the mice, they're in the same room, and the snake racks are halfway across the room and then the mouse racks are on the opposite wall 20 feet apart so the room smells like mice all the time some people say that you can't do that because snakes get used to smelling them well i guess those people don't have florida kings because i don't seem to have a problem with them smelling them and not wanting to eat (laughs) i think maybe it might make them want to eat all the time because they want to eat all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, are, are these regular mice, or are they the African sulfurs? No, I do regular mice, but a couple years ago, we were at a Repticon show, and my daughter saw some fancy mice with fancy colors and calicos and bright amber colors and shiny coats, so she had the, of course, Daddy, I want, so we got... <laughs> and now <laughs> half of our half of our mice are like designer-looking mice, and I do breed regular whites, albinos too i think they produce a little bit better than all the fancy one my daughter likes but they produce enough that they're worth having and for the enjoyment that she gets out of mixing them up and like she breed she'll put all the certain color gold one in a tub so she'll start her own tubs of just gold ones and then colors of just the calico ones and ones that are just blue she's got like a whole network of things it's kind of funny to watch her She's like the the long-tailed hamster whisperer. I tell her. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least she enjoys it. I mean, 
some kids uh, don't wouldn't even think of even looking at a mouse or anything, or even a snake for that matter. And I find my daughter also uh, really gets into it. She's always trying to bring friends over because she wants to take them and show them something. Do you get that yeah. a lot? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever do- she's come over and they want to go in there and rifle through the drawers and look at all the snakes and always makes me nervous. I got to run out there and make sure that everybody's closing stuff properly. And fortunately it's been good so far, but they really enjoy it. My daughter left one open and it took me a couple days to find it again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when we change tubs out, it always seems to be one that drops out. So then I'm on my belly reaching up underneath all the racks, trying to find the, ones that escaped, which I guess that's just nature of the beasts. Yeah. Especially when the kids are helping me. Do you ever do any educational stuff at the uh, schools with your, uh, with, for your children or anything? No, I don't yet, but I'm not opposed to it. If the opportunity came, I would gather a bunch of snakes up and, uh, do any kind of educational thing that was presented to me. My friend Otter John does educational things, so if I needed any kind of educational stuff, I would have him involved with it. Yeah, we. Uh, I used my wife and I used to go up to the school up here. They had a teacher up here who used to do this uh, lesson on uh, snakes, and then once a year we would go up and do an educational thing. But a couple of years ago, she retired, and she, they don't do that program no more. So, but if they ever do, I'm sure we'll go back up and start. Uh, doing it again yeah like i enjoy when the my kids friends come over i enjoy showing them and usually it's their parents want to come over and see them too so then i'm doing the whole explanation to the whole family about how things are and what they are and sometimes i get in a little deeper about you know just how to take care of the snakes and how these are non-venomous and the reason why the kids can go through them the way they are is because they're just Florida Kings because they're always worried. Oh, are you worried about them biting you? Or, and then the classic, which ones are the poisonous ones? And of course, yeah. everything is all non-venomous, so the kids can play with them. It's not like I'm going to have a yeah. room full of cobras and my preteen children are playing with them. Yeah, it's funny how, how people automatically think of venomous as soon as they hear a snake. Oh yeah, it's the classic. Um, like I tell people all the time, they always go, can it bite me? Well, anything with a mouth can bite, so, but it won't, yeah. it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it scares um, you more than it hurts you. It's a twitch reflex that makes you jump, but once you realize that you jumped for no reason, it probably made a really loud girl noise. You're almost <laughs> embarrassed that you did it when you realize that didn't hurt at all. No. Yeah, it's kind of funny, even some of us bigger, the adults jump. Yeah, they make so, uh, me jump sometimes. Now with your mice. Um, now, I was going to breed mice, but I would have to do it, you know, in my house. And I don't want to do that because I know they stink. Do you have any tricks to keeping the smell down? I've heard some people talk about, because i got a separate room, and they talk about there's special fans you can get in there and stuff. Because, you know, when you have to buy them all your, by, you know, separately, it can get pretty yeah. expensive, especially when you got a bigger collection. Yep. I mean, I use just regular kiln-dried pine shavings that I get from the feed store, but I also add 
pine pellets to it, and I'm finding that the pine pellets seem to keep the aroma down every seven days. Every Friday is my change day. Sometimes by Friday, it's starting to stink a little bit. But uh, the really the key to the stink is how often you change it. If you were to do it in the house and had a smaller system where you only had to dump the tubs every other day and just add more shavings, you can keep it so it doesn't stink up the whole place. Yeah. But if you let it stretch four or five days, of course, you're going to get an odor. Yeah, I don't want the odors. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you stayed on top of it and just kept cleaning them pretty regularly, if you let the manure build up in there, of course, it's going to stink and you get the ammonia smell. And I try to keep yeah. my mouse tubs. I use the concrete mixing tubs from Home Depot, and I try to only keep, like, six females and a male in there. And I usually pull through the pinkies and fuzzies and stuff as they're going. So I don't leave very many babies in the tubs at a time either. But if you were to leave those tubs with teen adults and three or four clutches of babies, I'm sure you can get it to stink up really fast. I could just imagine. I'm sure I'm sure it wouldn't take much for the whole house yeah, like to sometimes, stink. Or your whole sometimes through stink. the winter... Sometimes through the winter when the snakes aren't eating as aggressively, the mice usually are breeding full blast because it's cool out. That's when you start going to the collecting in the freezer because you can't keep up. And if you keep those, let those mice just keep growing, that's when you start getting good aromas too because then you'll get that nice hot day in the middle of the winter and the whole room will stink up for you nice and nice and rich, flavorful. So I try to keep my like my mice populations down so it, it doesn't make the room over pungent. Yeah. So uh, how do you feel about this uh, new constrictor law that they just passed again with the Lacey Act? With the uh, I know it's not uh, Florida king snakes, but I like to get everybody's little opinion on it, on what they think as a whole, how it they've added the um, particularly the python to the. I think they kind of got out of hand with it. I mean, to make it so you can't keep these or send these snakes across state lines or like northern states, I don't really see the point to it because these snakes can't live in the wild in these states or that are having these restricted laws where some of these big breeders live. So now they can't ship out these snakes that they've been breeding for 20 or 30 years. They got their life invested in it, and now they're stuck with these animals because some biologist says that, oh, we should stop shipping them everywhere. I don't really agree with it at all. I mean, I can understand restricting and limiting states like here in Florida. I see what the pythons are doing. The pythons are here, and there's quite a few of them. But a lot of the snakes, like the retics, there's a few of those here, but they haven't really created a breeding population here. They didn't put boas on it because the boas that are released here in the wild, there's only a little tiny breeding population, and I think it's like in Cutler Ridge down in Miami near a housing development, so it's not even out in the Everglades. So somehow that is probably why the the boas didn't get on it. I mean, I can understand the anacondas and stuff not being allowed here, 
But for them to put a restriction on the whole country so people can't ship them like to New York, really, if that snake escapes, it's not going to make the first winter. So, I mean, I don't see the problem or I don't see the cure of the problem they think that there is. Now, Burmese pythons kind of die off in the winter down there. Some do too, don't they? Uh, the weaker ones, if, because I it's if it gets cold enough. If it gets cold enough for a lengthy period of time, I have seen where the the Burmeses can't take the cold. But we also haven't had a good frosty winter in like six or eight years. So, I mean, I know for a fact that these snakes are moving up into Palm Beach County now. So it's going to take a good freeze to really restrict on the line that they're at. I mean, I don't see these snakes going past Orlando because it gets, yeah, that, you know, it's in the frost line. But it's going to require a good freeze to really set them back. And when we had the freeze, I was down in South Miami, and I found frozen snakes. So I know that the cold does kill them. Yeah, see, now... I was um, I I don't think they could live outside of Southern Florida like you just said, much above Orlando. I don't think it would happen. Yeah, I really don't and, think so. And reticulated pythons—they're kind of uh, people breed them, but I think they have to have certain cycles. You know, it has to be a certain way for them to breed properly. Yeah, I think uh, they have to like, have like a stable temperature for ovulation and stable temperatures for hatching the eggs. Not really sure, but I believe that you know there's specifics that you need to do to get those things to breed right, like the ball python yeah, I, you know, ball pythons aren't going to breed in the wild, yeah, just like i I don't think they would make it there, but uh you know, but Florida has a pretty good handle on it with their their um their what they want you to to like their permit system and stuff like that, so I thought that maybe instead of outlawing them everywhere so they can't be transported, they should probably put some kind of permit system in so they can keep track of everything. Do you think that would be a better idea to how to do it? Yeah, probably. And they should include cats on it. Cats are horrible. Regular, regular house cats, yeah. I think, are doing more damage than anything. And I mean, I see the damage that the pythons are doing. I see when I've seen pythons captured their bellies are usually full of marsh bunnies or a wood stork or something that you really don't want it to be eating. But I mean, the snake's going to eat whatever it can get a hold of. Yeah. Do you think it's going to continue to grow the restrictions? Do you think that they're going to uh, add more and more stuff to it? I mean, the ball, uh, the boa breeders were kind of happy that they weren't added to the Lacey Act, but um, I think that, uh, I don't think they're far off from getting added to it. I think it's a political trick that, you know, once they got their teeth in, now they're going to just start chewing away. You know, so I think they're going to just nibble away and nibble away, and they're going to say, oh, we found some more research, and this is what our new findings are finding. So because we have this scientific research, now we're going to add this. And I think it's a lot of bureaucratic BS, to tell you the truth. I think it boils yeah. down to money somewhere. You know, there's now that the Burmese pythons here, you're never going to get rid of them. They're going to be they're part of Florida now. So, but yeah. like with snakes, if they have people that are educated herpetologists that understand that these certain snakes that they've 
added or, and are trying to add aren't going to have wild populations breeding, I think people that are making these decisions really need to be snake people and not just the marine biologist that works in the wetland now that is deciding these things. Well, I said that they got they had a list years ago for HR 669, and they had a list on there that they wanted to, to ban completely, and they didn't get it passed. So then they started with the Lacey Act, putting it on there, mm-hmm. slowly yep. chipping away and getting everything that was on that list onto the Lacey yep. Act so they could got rid of them anyway. Yeah, and they're chipping so, away at it because when they said they were going to take everything away, everybody was on the backboard of complaining about it. Well, now they're just hitting this group and then this group and then this group when there's only a certain amount of people in this group that are going to complain. Everybody really needs to stay strong with it. We're all snake people. Maybe I may not like reticulated pythons to keep for myself, but I know the guy that does has just as much passion in his reptiles as I do mine. So I'm all for supporting his hobby just as much as mine. It's still snakes to me. Yeah, I have to agree. I think they're going to be going after uh, aquatics next, like fish and stuff, because I saw an article yesterday, not yesterday, but about three days ago, about uh, a lake in Colorado that's overrun with goldfish. So <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> How can that be a bad thing? It's just goldfish, but I'm sure they can eat all the algae out of the lake and change the ecosystem. I'm sure. Yeah, it's not like they're a predator fish or anything, but uh, I'm yeah, sure it's not like changed. the lion fish that we have here. Yeah, that's another fish that's uh, pretty bad on the coast. Is lion fish? They got them all the way up, all the way up the coast. <laughs> yep, I think at the most they should, if anything, the farthest I would respect would be if they just regulated what was here and you maybe had to have a permit for it or just so that there's accountability for it. Give us the accountability where we can be responsible for the animals and not just take it away from us because there's a lot of good people in the business or industry that that love it, that are responsible, and because a few incidents happen, just to take it away from everybody, you know, it's like, I've seen a a post on Facebook. Somebody posted a picture of a Camaro that Chevy sells that's 450 horsepower, does 0 to 60 in four seconds. And then they had a statistic under it or something that said that it's killed this many people already because the car's so fast. Well, they're not banning that. You know, so it's a free country. Let us do what we want to do. Regulate us if you have to, but let us do what we want. Or, you know, it's just like the uh, horses. Horses kill a lot of people, and so do regular mm-hmm. cattle, but you don't see them banning that either. So, Yep. <clears throat> yep, it's the same kind um, of debate as even a gun debate. Do you think that it's There's going to... There's always pros and cons. Oh, yeah, pros and cons. Do you think it's... Uh, will ever... Uh, do you think they're going to add, like, the ball pythons to it or anything? but I don't really think that they would add ball pythons. There is a lot of ball pythons, but I don't see a lot of people releasing them to the point where they're going to establish and breed anywhere. Hopefully that's the case, and they don't try adding them. But you never know. Yeah, you never know. 
You never know because there's somebody in office with a formal education that thinks he knows everything and he's just going to make the decision and somehow persuade everybody else that's voting on the board to vote for him and that's how things change. They don't even hear the people that are protesting outside when there's 7,000 of them with pickets and they just yeah. sign away what they do, you know. So even yeah. if you cry and complain, sometimes the squeaky wheel doesn't get oil. They don't care. They're saying this formally educated scientist here says it's bad, so this is what we're going to go with. And that's the word there is, and nobody can say otherwise. Um, so do you have any uh, future projects that are like you're trying to – don't want anybody to know or anything? <laughs> I have to ask the, that question. The biggest secret project I got going right now is my white-sided pink pearl snow project. That's the one I'm really focusing on right now, trying to get, even though, I mean, I enjoy all the projects equally. That's the one I'm really shooting for. I got 10 hets. Eight of them are females. And I only got two of them last year out of all those breedings. So the odds aren't really panning out for me. So I'm really crossing my fingers this year, and only half of those females have bred this year. The other couple females are in shed right now, so I'm hoping that's their ovulation shed, and then the next week or so they're all going to breed. I would hope that they all lay eggs at a similar time because when you're anticipating those eggs so much, like on day 50, you start looking at them every two hours. You, you, know, you can't stop. You're just looking all the time. Are they popping yet? Are they popping yet? And then when they do start popping, you're looking for pink heads instead of just exantics. You know, it's just, it's exciting. It's like waiting for Santa Claus. You know, you can't sleep that night, and the anticipation is overwhelming. I, I like when you get these odds, and then you'll see somebody, you know, been breeding for years and hasn't gotten one of their mm-hmm. odds. And then another person, oh, this is my first time doing it, and every egg is what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, I've had my lucky moments, too, so I can definitely relate with that. You know, it's yeah, that's a... it's luck of the draw. You know, it's all it is is luck. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. At least this time, or last year when I bred all these hets, everything checked out where all my genes did show. They just weren't all on the same snake. So at least I know yeah. all my hets are proofed out. I just didn't get them all to the line. So it's back to the batters up, and let's see what we get this year. Now, the ones that you did produce, the two you said two of them you got? Yep. Yeah, you kept them were holdbacks, huh? <laughs> they, well, they were holdbacks, but <laughs> the funny thing is, one's a male and one's a female. I drool over them. Except the female hasn't eaten on her own yet, born in November, and the male has only eaten three lizards or anoles on his own, and he was born in October. So they're both non-feeders at this point, so they get the pinky pump every two months or something, just trying to, I don't want to overfeed them with that, I don't want them to rely on the pinky pump, so I give them just enough to survive. And like the one I did just get to start triggering on a knolls, the other one doesn't seem to be interested in anything other than to curl up in its water bowl. So it's really. You think that has, does that happen a lot with when you're breeding, or do you think that has a lot to do with how many genetics are in it? It's kind of 
Uh, no, I think it just happened because it's the ones I wanted the most. Oh, <laughs> I got yeah. you. It's only the one saying, that you, you want the most is the one that doesn't want to feed for you. And, you know, you can make even just like a what would be small, like a bunch of just regular lavenders or something. Every single one of them eat beautifully because it was easy to make them. Lavenders are pretty common, and it just uh, all lined up, and they all came out nice and healthy. And then you get lucky, and you get two of what you're trying to produce out of 50 babies and they all eat beautifully except for the two that you want. <laughs> Wanted. That's the way it always works. Uh -huh. Yeah. Cause if snake escapes on you, the best way to find it is to buy another one just like it. And sure enough, it'll pop up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any, uh, like death genes, like, uh, the ball Python, there's a few genes that if you mix them together, they all the babies will die off when they're hatched. Is there any of those in the Florida Kings that you know of? I haven't seen anything like that, and I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, a yeah, lot of these morphs are here because snakes have been line bred for a long period of time, and line breeding reptiles isn't like line breeding a dog or people. You know, it's not. Snakes don't range in such a far area that it's common for them to bump into different bloodlines so it's common for them to interbreed so there's really nothing wrong with it at all yeah that was going to be my next question was, kind of, how do you feel about it i haven't seen any kind of residual side effects from inbreeding per se in florida kings at all without it there wouldn't be the morphs that we have now uh, yeah i agree and it's not like uh they're over a big area they're a florida king snake so yeah, I mean, um, anything side, any birth defects that I've seen would be the worst I've seen are stillborn, of course, but uh, you get an occasional kink every now and then, and sometimes that could happen just from a temperature spike. You know, sometimes it's just the nature of the beast. It's the natural selection, and some of them come out big, fat, and healthy, ready to feed right out of the egg and some of them just have no thrill to build or survive at all. Yeah, I have to, uh, I'm fortunately knock on wood. I've never had, uh, kinks. And, but now that I said that, watch this season. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a natural thing. Sometimes it happens, you know, it's not that you did anything wrong or anything, but you know, that that's why like King snakes Lake, 10 or 15 eggs at a time because they're trying to, the animals are trying to reproduce and sometimes there's some that don't feed. Sometimes there may be a birth defect and sometimes there's some that only want to feed on their siblings. You know, yeah. so that's why, you know, it's just nature's way. So uh, how do you feel about calling uh, some people and, and what would you consider an animal that you'd have to do that to? Like, uh, if it had a minor kink, would you keep it as a pet, or would you uh, call it? It really depends on how bad it was. I have a problem myself with culling. I feel that if I hatch this animal, I feel I have an obligation to take care of it. So I got a, I got a problem with it. I haven't done it yet. I've been fortunate enough not to. 
and I do have a couple of stubtail snakes and a couple of slightly king snakes in my collection that they're my pets now because I can't just I can't kill them just because they're not perfect. Eats fine. It's still the same as a normal snake. It's just a couple of them got short tails. They're not so pretty as the other ones, but to me, it's still the snake. So I take care of them and feed them just like they're my kids. That's a good attitude to have. That's the difference between a hobbyist and a huge breeder because some of the huge breeders, they just, it's easier for them to call them, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I understand the practice, and I'm sure someday I'm going to have that problem to deal with because I can't keep every single cockeyed snake that I hatch. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure I'm going to have my moments with it. But uh, I've been fortunate I haven't had to have any issues like that yet. I've been able to get rid of everything that I've hatched and everybody's happy and the couple that were a little bit cockeyed, I'm happy with keeping them because they actually got pretty cool personalities. It's kind of like, like if a person is blind, they can hear really well. These snakes kind of have like, there's something else special about them. Kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe it's me. (laughs) I I mean, I've seen some animals that needed to be, you know, that were so deformed. There was no chance. But then, you know, if a minor kink or, like you said, a little stub tail or something, that's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, if it was something that was going to impair the animal's quality of life, of course, I would have no problem culling the animal. But if there's just a cosmetic blemish or something, that's not a fault of the animal. So that animal's my pet for the rest of its life. But if something's kinked to the point where it has problems going to the bathroom or it can't eat properly, or if it's blind something, I guess, it, those I would, wouldn't would have a problem with culling them. Fortunately, I haven't had to yet, but I understand the reason why. I don't want the animal to suffer for no reason, and I'm not going to let it suffer for my pleasure of just keeping it alive to see if I can. I would rather just the animal not suffer. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Okay. If you are looking for some top quality bred reptiles, look no further than Scott McFarland. Scott has an outstanding breeding collection of Florida king snakes and ball pythons. This is a hobby that Scott and his entire family enjoy doing together. They take pride in their hobby. Scott is 100% dedicated to the quality of his animals and to customer service. So to find out what Scott has available, you can contact Scott at 561 522-0728. That's 561-722-0728. Or you can email Scott at spikerush01 at AOL.com. That's S-P-I-K-E-R-U-S-H-01 at AOL.com. Scott is the breeder I use for all my Florida King Snakes. So you cannot go wrong with using Scott for yours. So that was a commercial for you because <laughs> you have some quality animals there. <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> so, is there a dream? I mean, I know that you were just, just the white-sided uh, snake you were just talking about, but is there like a, a pattern or a color mutation that's not in the Florida Kings yet that you would like to see someday into the Florida Kings? Mm. You know, I'm almost kind of overwhelmed with everything that's already available and everything that I have in my collection. I would like to just see some of my own personal projects just follow through. You know, the, the time and commitment it takes to follow through with a single project is quite a bit. And I've got probably 10 or 12 projects that I'm really working on so just for me to be able to come to completion with those projects will be a, a big feat for me to do. And that's really what I want to do is just complete everything that I'm into. And hopefully by the time new stuff is coming out, maybe I'll be ready enough to take on some new stuff too. Yeah. So where do you think the, uh, where do you see the hobby in 10 years? The hobby in general or Florida King Snakes? Well, the hobby in general, and then you can just talk about Florida King Snakes also. And uh, where would you like to see yourself in 10 years? Mm, I think that as far as the hobby in general, I think more and more people are being exposed to reptiles and snakes. So I, I think the the reptile industry is growing and as far as like Florida Kings in it, I think a lot of people that are into ball pythons are getting into ball pythons as their first snake. And when they start to be exposed to some pretty cool morph from Florida Kings and the other colubrids, I tease some of my ball friends about it that Florida King snakes are advanced snake keeping because it's not just a a snake that curls up in the bottom of a tub and doesn't move. You know, it's a, a thinking snake. You leave the tub open and turn around, that snake's going to get out and adventure where ball pythons kind of just lay there and look pretty. To me, I enjoy the, stimu- the intellectual stimulation that you get out of Florida king snakes. You can, they have, like, to me, bigger personalities where I see differences in each snake. It's like I'm a school teacher and these are all my kids and, I know what how each one's going to react, and this one's going to be cranky, and this one's going to want to eat a little bit more, and this one's going to be under its water bowl, and this one's going to poop in its water bowl because it does every time I change it, you know. So it's it's fun stuff like that. Yeah, they have their own personality. They are a very intelligent snake, also, because I see them. You know, they push the limits onto trying to escape even more so than my California king snakes. They they kind of go a little. Step further and beyond. Yeah, they're trying find to the hole. figure ways out. <laughs> fortunately, I had one. Uh, g- Go ahead. What were you saying? Fortunately, when when I have with my collection, fortunately, I've only lost one so far, and it was a little teeny tiny new hatchling, and how it squeezed through the tub, I have no idea. But there was four in it, and when I checked it, there was three. And I was amazed that one of them got out and it had to squeeze through a little tiny hole that probably 
three or four pieces of paper stacked together wouldn't slide through, but the snake yeah. seemed to manage to get through it somehow. That's, so that's, that's the only one that I've ever lost. Yeah, I was, was kind of disappointed in myself because I kind of pride myself with being able to make a secure cage, and to lose one, it, it kind of beat me. Outsmarted you, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lucky one got away, and of course I never found it again. I uh, I had one get out, but then I found it in a box a couple days later, all curled up in the bottom of the box. <clears throat> But yeah, um, that's, that's not, not as bad as not finding it. When you don't find it, that's a, a definite loss. When you find it, oh, that, yeah. it was only gone for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was watched. I was on Facebook and I saw a picture. This guy had this cage system, and it was a, uh, it was one of these factory-made cage systems, and it had a spot in the back, an air slot big enough to slide two cards through, two little playing cards, and then there was a cage next to it. Same thing, same cage. You can only stick two playing cards in it. And a gentleman came home from work and looked in his one cage, and he's like, it's missing. And he looked over in the other cage, and it was in there eating the other one. Now, the only oh way you can get through is through that little spot where you can get the playing cards through, but they, it did it. It got through. Wow. So it, it's uh, I would it's name amazing that snake Houdini. It's funny that it escaped <laughs> one tub and then got into another tub. This, this wasn't even a tub system. It was a... It was a uh, like a boa file type of cage. That's the only way I can wow. describe it. And it, and it got through. There was a little air spot in the back, just big enough for like two playing cards to fit through, and they got through it. So yeah, it's amazing. amazing animals. They, yeah, they can squeeze through. I've when I was a kid, I had Burmese pythons, and I had one that was like 15 feet long, and I had it in the bathtub for a soak, and I closed the bathroom door and went out in the living room for a few minutes, and when I came back in, it was in the bedroom, and it squeezed out underneath the bathroom door, which was only like an inch and a half high, and the snake was 15 inches in diameter, and it squeezed underneath the bathroom door. Yeah, it's amazing so what they, they can do. They can, yeah, that snake flattened out, and it didn't leave a mark on its scales or anything. There was no scratches on his back where it had squeezed underneath the door. I was blown away by it. Yeah. It definitely made me make my cages more secure. I make sure that they're, yeah. they're definitely secure where nothing, even if something can go behind them. When I build my racks, I make them like four inches wider than the tub lengthwise when I pull them out. So it, actually when I work on the snakes, I can like leave hemostats or whatever. I have a little shelf in front of each tub so I can put stuff on them as I'm working with them. But that way, if the snake crawls out, does get out and crawls behind them, it doesn't push all the tubs open as it goes behind all the other tubs. Yeah, that would be my luck when you get out and let all the other ones loose. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it um, happen. <clears throat> what, uh, what got you into keeping reptiles and snakes and stuff? And my mom but, uh, took me long? to Everglades National Park when I was like seven years old, and the guy handed me an indigo, and it was on ever since that. And shortly after that indigo experience, my mom and dad got me a Florida king snake, and three months after I got it, it laid eggs. And my mom called Bill Haas for me. And Bill Haas actually spoke to me 
told me what to do with the eggs, told me to just put them in a plastic bag with wet newspaper on a shelf. And here I am, 10, 12 years old, hatching out Florida Kings already. And ever since then, I've been hooked on the Florida King. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm 47 years old now, so it's been a, a lifelong ambition for me. I uh, what got me into it is I went to a pet store when I was a kid and I seen one in a in a in a closure, and then I set myself up. I was like, "That's it, I want one." And uh, yep. I worked uh, I worked and saved up money and got one, and it's been on ever since. And you know, I've been doing it for well over thirty years. Yep, and I've had my phases where I went to the the big Burmese pythons. I've had retics, anacondas. I even had a few hops. When I was younger, I had a friend that collected cobras. He had over 500 cobras. So I've been through that route. I didn't keep them myself, but I frequented his facility and had my dabblings with the venomous snakes for a while. And now I enjoy my humble little collection of Florida Kings that I've kind of become an extremist with. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's all good to me. You know, it's, it's, my favorite snake. I thoroughly enjoy them. And, you know, I think that's, that's what sets me apart a little bit. You know, I, I love what I do and it's, it's fun to me. I enjoy it completely. Yeah. I, uh, I went through the, uh, the retic and the berm and the anaconda and the big boas phase. But then I sat back one day and said, you know, each one of these cages that hold this berm, I could probably put 30 king snakes in there, you know, in the same amount of area. Yeah, so, and then you buy thirty mice instead of a thirty dollar bunny. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, I, well, I didn't say the price of the food went down. I mean, it's just that it, uh, the area and, and what I could keep. I could keep a bigger selection and better variety and things like that. Yeah. Then having just a few, I could have a lot. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I had cages in the garage that were made out of sliding glass doors as the front face, and they took up a lot of room. Yeah, and I find that uh, when I get into something, I kind of go extremely overboard with it. It's like I had burns. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it must be in the must all be every all of us must have the same problem when it comes to uh, a little part of my OCD ness. Yeah, and then you know I even went through the phase of keeping uh, leopard geckos, and then. I had all these leopard geckos, and then one day I woke up and I looked, and I had hundreds of them because I was breeding them out and trying to raise them up, saying, "I wonder what this would do with that." But leopard geckos are a lot of work. I give it to the people that keep them, but I had to get rid of them because I had hundreds of them. And then I wow. did the same thing with crested geckos. So I just prefer to keep the snakes, like the king snakes and you know pine snakes. I got a few pine snakes. I got some gopher snakes I just picked up the other day. I got a buddy of mine gave him to me because he had some extra ones. So, yeah, they're awesome snakes too. I, I like all colubrids, even water snakes. It's just, I don't know. I got bit by the bug and I got hooked right in the corner of the mouth. You know, I love it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I love every snake, every aspect of it. Oh, so do I. Uh, my dream snake is an eastern indigo. If I could get an eastern indigo. I mean, they're very expensive and permits and stuff like that. But if I could, if somebody said, "What you pick one, what would you want? 
it would have to be an eastern indigo because they are just there's something about them that fascinates me. Yeah, I have the bug for that too, but unfortunately here in Florida, I'll never own one. I'll probably you, never you be able to get a permit. I was going to say, you I've can't heard get through the grapevine that you can't even get educational permits for them anymore. Like, if you're not grandfathered in, I think you're done with it. So, I haven't even really pursued trying to follow through to see if I could do it. But I would love to have an Eastern Indigo. I mean, that's probably every snake guy's dream snake to have. Well, I, I would sold. imagine. Yeah, to me, I it's sold. the ultimate snake. They're thinking snakes, they have big personalities. They generally eat good. They're poop factories, though. But, you know, that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think every guy that keeps snakes would like to have a, an indigo or two. Yeah, that would be... I, I would love to have one. So. Yeah, I mean, I get to see them in the wild from time to time. And, you know, seeing an indigo in the wild is... It raises goosebumps when you see it. You know, it's not like, oh, there's another water bandit or there's a corn snake. When you see an indigo, it, it's awe-inspiring. It's an so animal you, that uh, just, it commands authority, you know. You, you spend a lot of time outdoors. Do you see them at all or or just on occasion? Um, I've seen more indigos in the wild than I've seen Florida kings, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I work out in the woods. I do exotic vegetation control. So I'm out in the swamp on a 40 hour week basis out in the woods. So I get to see a lot of stuff that most people don't ever get to see, which is part of where my appreciation for the Florida King is. I work in the Florida swamps in their natural habitat. So I have like a kind of a connection with them, I guess. Maybe yeah, it's that a respect because I see the rough terrain that they live in in the wild, and they, they don't live in a very easy environment. They live out in sawgrass fields alongside canals and levees under rocks. They've got very limited feed, so for it to be a cannibalistic snake in the wild would definitely be a benefit for it. And they're usually uh, in the hottest, harshest areas. can't even believe that animals live in there because... It's so rough, you know, you're dying, pouring sweat, and you think, wow, there's nothing here. But then you can see one, and wow, look at that thing just thrives out here in this rough environment. You know, but I guess it's a reptile. It's what they do. It's amazing how adaptable they are. Yeah, <clears throat> and they're really easy to take care of, you know. They don't really require much, just a little bit of love, a little bit of attentiveness. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like keeping you, uh, rainbow boas or something where you have to be really particular with your humidities or anything like that. I just keep them yeah. dry and clean, and it all goes well. So do you do you think uh, your children will have big collections when they get on their own, or do you think it's just something that they do on their own? Um, well, they're preteen right now, so they're really into it with me at the moment. I'm sure as they're going through their dating times, dad's probably not going to be so cool anymore. So I'm sure they'll have their moments. But I think they're going to have reptiles in them just like I do. It may come and go a couple times through their life as they're growing up and going to school and whatnot. But 
they're always going to have a soft spot for them. I can see that. They're too enthusiastic with it to just give it up and never have them on their own. And yeah, plus they got a My... couple of salcata tortoises that I'm raising that I hope that they breed someday when I'm long gone. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my son, he was really big into him when he was younger, and now he's going to be 19 years old, and it's kind of, you know, being with his friends and girls are more important than uh, the snakes are. And like you said, that isn't that cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, I had that one, you know, when I was out in one of the bars with my buddies when I was 21. Snakes were the last thing on my mind. I was fixing up hot rod cars and stuff. And then when I got over that stage, you know, I've been in and out of breeding some sort of reptile really throughout my whole life. If it was turtles or I've always had box turtles. I had a soft spot for bulldozers. A friend gave me babies. I raised them up and they gave me eggs and just always had a soft spot for those turtles. So I've always had those. Do you keep any kind of lizards or anything like that? Well, my mom has a few uh, uh, leopard geckos that we play with. And my daughter did bearded dragons where she was trying to breed them and going through the whole process of raising crickets so she could have the little crickets for the babies. And But they were all, you know, just like you with the, the geckos. It was a phase she went through, and one day she looked at them and was like, I want to do this kind of snake now. Let's get rid of these. And so she has no problem with changing things up. Let's go on to the next thing. Let's learn about this. You know, again, well, she... with the thing I had with the leopard geckos, it wasn't that I got out of the phase with them. I mean, I like them still. It's just, it became overwhelming. It was like, wow. One day I had 40, 50. The next day I got a couple hundred. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I have that moment sometimes when I have a lot of babies. I'm going through feeding, and it takes me a day just to feed all the babies. Sometimes I think, what are you doing? But it's part of it when you're trying to make these morphs come together. You get a lot of babies, and just because you have the babies, you know, to me, I can't just put them in the freezer. i got to take care of them. Oh, yeah. That's part of it. Yeah, well, and... uh then there's always that time of year when you're real excited, like you said earlier, when they're when they're uh, hatching out and you're looking for the one that you really want, and then you end yep. up getting it or you don't. So, yeah, it's all a reward to me. I just like to be successful in making happy babies. So the rest of it's all a bonus to me. If I make nice, healthy snakes, that's number one. And then to get the ones that I'm shooting for to get all those odds to line up for me, you know, that's number two to me. Do you see yourself buying any uh, extra, any any new types of morphs to try to add into your mix? Mm. There is a few people that are doing a few things that I'm interested, George. <laughs> but uh, no, not really. There's not too many people doing anything that I'm so interested in that I would give up the space for what I'm doing. George Sierra has a couple things going that I'm interested in, but uh, I'm pretty content with the amount that I have and the projects that I got going. Well, I'm going to say it's about time to wrap up the show, and uh, I'm glad you came on, and thank you for coming on. And 
I'm definitely looking forward to ordering from you again here in the future uh, because I was very impressed with the animals I did get from you. So I'm definitely going to be uh, definitely going to be ordering from you again here in the future. And uh, we're going to have a big variety this year. Uh, That's what I'm looking forward to then. I uh, awesome. I'm going to play your commercial on every show for a long time because I was really impressed. So yeah, that was awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having uh, me. I enjoyed it. Oh yeah. Oh no problem. I'll have to have you on again. Yep. Anytime. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one, guys. You too. You have a good one. All right. Bye bye. And uh, I'd like to say thank you for everybody for listening in. And uh, that was Scott McFarland, and he. Uh, like I said, he's an amazing, amazing Florida king snake breeder. And uh, they're dibble-dabbling there in a little bit of the ball pythons, as you hear. And uh, so he's going to have a wide variety of stuff, like he said. So if you're looking for anything, contact him. Thank you, and enjoy your night. Thanks, guys. Have a good night.